Welcome to the International Evangelical Church. As we mentioned, we are celebrating the nations this month. It's our international month. Typically, we've done one week, but since uh, COVID's here and we can't celebrate as large in one week, we decided to extend it. So today, we are celebrating the beauty of this continent that we all find ourselves on, Africa and how God has been working and moving in here for so long, and he continues to move and work through this great and glorious continent. Well, about 18 years ago, I was sitting around a table with a group of men. There was about five or six of us, and there was a man who had been investing in me for some time named Soup Campbell. He lived in Memphis, Tennessee, an African-American man who was teaching me the Bible, discipling me, And I remember this particular morning, I'll never forget the question he asked, because it's a question that has resonated in my heart and mind for all these 18 years. He asked us this, and I ask you, church, this. If all your prayers, everything that you've been praying for over the course of the last month, just like that, God answered every prayer exactly the way you would want him to, What difference would that make? What would be impacted if all your prayers were answered? Well, we ran around the table. Some of us said, well, I might have a different job. The single guys were like, well, I'd be married. Some others were like, I might have children. Others were like, a sick relative would be better. Then he asked us, he said, I want you to think back six months. Let's just go back further. If, you, if all your prayers for the last six months have been answered, and again, we gave some more answers, uh, loved ones who didn't know the Lord would know the Lord. Some of our co-workers would know the Lord. Various answers, but then he paused us. And he said, if your prayer life would not turn the nations upside down for the glory of Jesus Christ, then your prayer life falls far short of what is on the heart of God. Because God has the nations on his heart. And we see that from beginning to end of the Bible, that God has all peoples, all nations, worshiping him for his glory. That's what's on his heart. And as his followers, we're to have on our heart the things that God has on his heart. Since that time, a book that I've often used in my own devotional life, For a season, every night at our dinner table, we would spin the globe and point to a nation and open up a book called Operation World and read about that nation and pray for that nation. On every chair in this room and and out in our courtyard, we've placed various nations here in Africa. We've got their information, we've got their demographics on that seat. And I would invite you after this service, just take the piece of paper that's on the chair you're seated in, and take it home with you and pray for that nation regularly this week so that as a church we may be praying for the nations here on this great continent of Africa. Well, today our passage that we're starting in is in Revelation. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. It's a passage that you've already heard me speak of many times because it's near and dear to my heart and it's one that I look forward to and long for the day that this becomes a reality in full. 
So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. If you don't, the words will be on the, the scriptures will be on the screen behind me. Please stand for the reading of God's word, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. It reads, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Well, this is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. Lord, your word says the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And that this is the word that was preached to you. Lord, unless you speak today, nothing of significance will be spoken. So speak, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, God's had the nations on his heart right from the fall. You see, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, we see the fall occurred and mankind was impacted, all of creation. And we see that God is on a mission to restore broken, fallen humanity back to himself. Yet we see in Genesis 11 that mankind, left to his own devices, only thinks of himself. His own glory, his own comfort, his own fame. And mankind builds a, a tower called the Tower of Babel to his own glory. And God comes down and scatters the peoples. He scatters the nations. So we speak different languages. But as soon as God scatters the nations, he is quick to reveal his plan for all the nations, for all peoples. He takes one man named Abram. This man whose father was an idol maker. And he tells this man, you're going to worship the one true God. And in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he gives him what's called the Abrahamic covenant. It says, the Lord said to Abraham, go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's plan for Abraham was that he be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. God was going to take Abraham, teach him his truth, and Abraham was to spread God's glory among all peoples. God repeats that to Abraham over and over and over again in Genesis. In Genesis 22, we see Abraham take his son Isaac up a mountain to sacrifice him. And a picture of what we see in Christ, one of the clearest Old Testament pictures of the coming Messiah, he takes him up this mountain to sacrifice him. And as, about, as he's about to sacrifice his son, 
God tells him, your son is not the sacrifice that's sufficient for the sins of the world. No, instead, he sacrifices a ram in his place, a temporary appeasement of the wrath of God. And right at that clear biblical picture, God tells Abraham this in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In this picture of a son laying down his life, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, God will take that son Isaac and he'll repeat the same truth to him. In Genesis 26, 4, he says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give your offspring all these lands and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God will repeat to every single patriarch, every single significant figure of the Old Testament, his plan is for all peoples. His plan is for all nations. Isaac's son, Jacob, in Genesis 28, 14, he says, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. All peoples, all nations. God takes his people, a, a, a nation of 70 people. They go down to Egypt. They're there for 400 years, placed in slavery. During that time, they grow to a nation of more than 2 million people. And God raises up a man to lead them to freedom. His name is Moses. And Moses comes, and God, through Moses, brings ten plagues upon the most powerful nation on earth at that time, Egypt. The Egyptian economy, the Egyptian army, the firstborn of Egypt, all destroyed. And God tells Moses the purpose of him doing this. In Exodus 9, 16, he says, For this purpose I've raised you, Moses, up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed among the earth. Why did the plagues come upon Egypt? So that God's glory, his global glory, could be proclaimed all over the earth. And as Moses and the Israelites marched throughout the desert for 40 years, all the nations who heard of them would say, This is the nation. This is Israel, and their God is the God who defeated the Egyptians. The most often told story and recounted story of the Old Testament is the Exodus, and it's for God's global glory and fame. Well, the next person to take the mantle from Moses is a man named Joshua, and Joshua is the one who will lead him into the Promised Land. They're on their way. They're marching into the Promised Land. And they come upon the Jordan River. And God separates the Jordan River. And at the separating, he has them set up 12 stones. 12 stones of remembrance of what God has done. And he tells Joshua this in Joshua 4, 24. Here's the purpose of these stones. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that I, I may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. And that you may fear the Lord your God forever over and over again. It's about the nations. It's about all peoples. It's about God's global glory and his fame. You come to King David, the king that's known as a king after God's own heart. And King David sets up a tabernacle 
a tent where they'll worship God, and he puts what's called the Ark of the Covenant in there. And at this, we read this earlier in the opening of our service, 1 Chronicles 16.23. It says, Sing to the Lord <coughs> all the nations of the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. The tabernacle. People were to come there and see who God is. All the nations. Well, David's son Solomon would be the one to build a more permanent place for God's glory to rest here on earth called the temple. Built it on Mount Moriah. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 60, it says this is the purpose of the temple. That all the peoples of the earth may know that I uh, may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. All other gods are false gods. There's only one true God. And all the nations, when they come to the temple, they're to see there is a glorious, magnificent God and worship him. That was the purpose of the temple. And in Jesus' day, the temple was huge. The temple area had expanded. I've got a picture of it here. This is from uh, Jerusalem at a place called the Israel Museum. They have a replica of what Israel looked like, what Jerusalem looked like in that day. And you can, you can see in this the court of the priest. Only priests could go in that area, Jewish priest. Then there's a place where only Jewish men could go. Then there's a place where only Jewish women could go. But the largest area, the area that's 25 football fields in size, it's called the court of the Gentiles, the court of the nations. This is where the nations would come and gather to hear about God. Who is this God? What is the purpose of this temple? Let me tell you about our glorious God. Let me tell you how he's worthy of worship. That was the purpose of the temple. And throughout the Old Testament, I could take you through the Psalms, I could take you through the prophets, minor and major prophets, and show you how over and over and over again, God is about his glory among all peoples, among all nations. If I were to do that, we'd probably be here all day. There are that many verses pointing to this. But when Messiah, when Jesus comes during the last week of his life, he walks into Jerusalem. And in the one physical act of rage, righteous indignation. He walks into the temple area and they've turned the court of the Gentiles, the very place where the nations were to come and see who God is. They've turned it into a marketplace. They're buying and they're selling there and Jesus comes in there and he quotes from Isaiah 56, 7. And in Mark eleven seventeen, he quotes that verse. He said, it's written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all, for all the nations. But you've turned it into a den of robbers. The temple was to be a house of prayer for all peoples, for all nations. They'd all gather there and worship him. Yet they couldn't see God very clearly because they were buying and selling in the temple. See, Jesus was for fulfillment of all that the temple was supposed to be. He's for all the nations. He's the ultimate final sacrifice for the sins of the world. 
Yet when people would come to the temple, they were to see God. Well, in 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, and there hasn't been a temple there since. The temple's not needed. In fact, we see the temple is moved. The temple is us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Jesus paid full price for you. He paid his blood fully for all of you. And we are that temple Collectively, as we gather as a church to worship, we are a representation of God's body here on earth. We're the temple. But individually, as we go out, we are to be the place where people come to experience God. We're many temples as we go out. God doesn't have a temple in one place for all the nations to come and gather. No, he scattered his people out among the nations. So that his glory may be known among all peoples. And just like that temple in Jesus' day, when people would show up, they couldn't see God very clearly because of all the sin that was taking place within the temple area. Sometimes in our lives, because of the jealousy, the covetousness, the gossip, the selfishness, our sinfulness, because of the sin in our life, people often can't see God clearly through his people. That's why we continually come and we repent, we turn from our sin, because we want our lives to bring glory to him. And that all the peoples might see God reflected in some way through these earthly vessels, through these temples. Jesus wants to clean out each one of us. That's why he died. He paid full price for us. And Jesus tells his followers in Matthew uh, 28, verses 18 through 20, these are some of the key verses of our church. He tells them to go make disciples of all the nations. That is our mission. That's why we're left here on earth. That's why God hasn't brought us home as soon as we became a Christian. We're to be about making disciples of all the nations, of all the peoples. It's a beautiful, glorious thing. And you may wonder how you do that. Well, in Acts 1.8, Jesus tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're going to be as witnesses empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can't do it in and of yourself. Only as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through your life are you able to represent him through the nations. And this is both for our good and for his glory. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As some understand slowness, he's patient with you. He wants all to come to repentance. That's his desirous will. God desires that all would come to repentance. He's patient. We go declare that. And perhaps the most famous verse in the New Testament a verse that's so often repeated, sometimes we sort of take it for granted. John 3.16, For God so loved the world. God loved the world. That's the reason he gave his only son. 
It didn't say he just loved one people. He didn't just love the family of Israelite, uh, Israel. He didn't just love the tribe of Abraham. He didn't just love one nation, one people. He loves the world, all peoples. And as Christians, we get the joy of laboring for the nations. Do you know what our enemy wants to do? He wants to take peoples and divide us based on nations, based on ethnicity, based on race, based on language. And yes, God has given us those things, and those are a unique part of who we are. But we are a family in Christ, and we don't divide over those. We unite in Christ, and we celebrate that we're, there's differences, and God's created us that way. It's a beautiful, glorious thing. So when we gather to worship, as a diverse body of many nations, we're a reflection of where we're headed in Revelation. And we get the great joy of that. And it's a beautiful thing. It doesn't mean it's not without challenges, but it means that it's wonderful and it's glorious. This is how God's intended it to be. But said God so loved the world, I think it's important we know a little bit about our world. Our world has 7.8 billion people on it. That's a whole lot of people. 7.8 billion. 56% now live in cities. The majority of people on earth live in a city like we do here in Addis Ababa. There are 6,909 languages on earth, many of them still without God's word in their language. Some of those here in Ethiopia, somewhere in the 20s to 30s languages that still don't have God's completed word in their language. We pray that God would do that and bring that. 32% of the world claims to be Christian. I use the word claim because if they're filling out a survey, they would say, I'm a Christian. But not all of them know what that means. You see, 7.9, basically 8%, claim to be evangelical Christians. What does it mean to be an evangelical Christian? Well, let me tell you, when I use that word, it's certainly not as a political entity or as a political group. Our church is called the International Evangelical Church. Five tenets from Scripture that we see make up an evangelical. We believe the Bible is true. We believe it's God's Word. He's given it to us. It's true. We can stand on it. We believe Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. We believe that you personally convert you're not born a Christian. You're not a Christian because your parents were Christian. No, you're a Christian because you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Fourth, once we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells and lives in us and guides us and directs us and empowers us for life and ministry. And fifth, we believe that our faith is meant to be shared. We're to tell people about Jesus and how we live in our words, in our actions, they're to declare the glory of Jesus Christ to the nations, to the world. Well, today, as we start International Month, we celebrate this beautiful, glorious continent of Africa. I'll tell you, the gospel came to Africa very early. It came to Africa even before it came to Europe. We see Simon of Cyrene. He carried the cross of Jesus. He was an African man carrying the cross of Jesus, and his sons became Christians, early church leaders. We see Apollos. 
Apollos was a preacher. We see him in Acts 18. He was a preacher even superior to Paul in his ability to preach. He was an African man. We see the Ethiopian eunuch. He came here, somewhere in this area, bringing the gospel very early on. And Ethiopia has had a Christian church here since many years ago. For a thousand years, the church, we had kings in Ethiopia that ruled that were Christian, called themselves Christian. Many of those kings did away with other religions. So Africa has a deep, rich, glorious history of Christianity being here. But just like all the places on the earth, there's also places that are still unreached to this day. There are still people on this continent that have not heard the gospel. And our world is changing. And all the demographics point to Africa. Africa will be the center of Christianity in the next 50 years. This is going to be the most the continent that God uses the most to spread the gospel among the nations is right here in Africa. And we as a church, we are strategically placed. I don't know why God would place us here, but it's by his good favor and his great grace that he's placed us right here in Africa, right across the street from the African Union, where all the African nations gather, not far from the United Nations. Our city is where all the African embassies are placed. We've been placed in a very strategic place for God to use this church for his glory and his kingdom. And we need to celebrate that. We need to embrace that. It's a gift that God has given us that the nations are coming here. Uh, a little bit of information about our continent here, Africa. The majority of Christians today are from Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Africa has 1.3 billion people, 43% live in the city, 2,110 languages, 48% of people in Africa claim Christianity. 17% would be what we consider evangelical Christians. Here in this great nation of Ethiopia, if you were to do a survey, and they've done it, of the most religious nations on earth, Ethiopia actually comes out near the top of the list. We are one of the three most religious nations on earth. Now, don't confuse when I say religious with meaning Christian. It means that people hold to various faiths, and they hold to them very firmly. People believe something here. And I believe that's for a reason, because God is doing something. And people are holding to faith here. He's up to something. God is at work Yet there's been many, many in this body, many here in Ethiopia, that have endured the hard times. This nation's had hard times where Christians were greatly persecuted. Yet, today we can worship freely, and we celebrate that. And we pray that we will not take for granted our ability to worship freely. And the gift that we have of being able to gather with many nations to worship God. And that as people come together and as people go back to their nations, we get to celebrate what God is doing here. A little bit more information. Almost half of Africa's population would count themselves as Christian. Nearly two-thirds of those sub-Sahara Africa count themselves as Christians. In 1900, 
9% of the population of Africa would say they were a Christian. In 2010, 48%. The number of people that count themselves as Christians has grown from 1,907.5 million to today, nearly one half a billion people in Africa claim Christianity. 33% of the world's evangelicals live in Africa, and by 2050, statistics are showing that over half of the world's evangelical Christians will live right here in Africa. So don't think God's not at work here. Don't think God's not up to something. This continent's going to be gospel light to the rest of the world. God's working, and we can celebrate that. It's a beautiful thing that God continues to bring the nations here to our city. Africa does have a deep, rich Christian heritage. Do you know the early church scholars and fathers? A huge percentage of them were African. They're the ones who defended the faith against heretics and against heresy. In fact, there was one young man. His mother was a Christian. He rejected her faith. He became one of the best orators, the best debaters of his day. He was from Africa. He was so recognized and so famous for his ability to debate and uh, dialogue that he, was, he went to Rome. This was during the Roman Empire in the 300s. It was there that he heard a man named Ambrose preach. Ambrose was the greatest preacher of the day, according to many. And at that the faith that he had heard from his mother was ignited. He went out to a playground and heard a little girl in a swing saying, take up and read, take up and read. And it's at that that a man named Augustine took up the Bible and he began to read Scripture. And it's at that that Augustine's life was transformed. He came back here to Africa, went to a city called Hippo in current-day Algeria and was the bishop there. He would write a defense of the faith. He would write an explanation of many of our great Christian doctrines. He stood against heresy. In fact, our church, we're a church that traces our roots back to what's known as the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s. But we go way further than that. You see, the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s, all the reformers, Calvin, Zwingli, Luther, all these reformers... They went back to Augustine. The church had gone astray, and these reformers called the church back to the truth of the gospel. And they looked to a saint from Africa who had lived many years before named Augustine and the truth that he taught from Scripture. So, brother and sister, know this. God is up to, work, up to things here. God is working amongst us. And we get the great joy. We get the great privilege of being a part of what God is doing. Let me tell you, God is not waiting on us so that he can accomplish this purpose. He's going to accomplish it with or without us, but he will invite us in to be a part of it. And that's for his glory and your good. I pray that this month as we celebrate the nations, 
And when we say nations, we're not referring to just the 200 geopolitical nations of the earth. No, uh, according to some estimations, there are between 11,000 and 16,000 nations, ethnic groups, people groups, defined by language, characteristics, various things on earth. And we get the joy and the privilege of taking the gospel, of seeing the gospel go to those people. I believe our church is a launching pad that God is using to spread his fame among all the peoples of the earth. I pray that he continues to do it. Amen.